again, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. Tonight we're doing part two of our discussion, Are You Ready for a Great Future? My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, doing great, and eager to hear some more about how we get there, right? I think we set it up all week. We've been setting it up, and now we get the big payoff. It's great to welcome John Palmer back to the show. John is a coach and speaker who is passionate about alternative energy, efficient government, and more recently, generous listening. Together with his wife, Doreen, he manages a coaching business which serves the emotional visions of expatriates returning home from overseas assignments. John's driving interest is sharing his passion that humans will continue on the path of creating a fabulous future as long as we keep our focus on creating that future and not on reporting and regurgitating the seemingly overwhelming problems that we see today. John, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Great having you with us. Okay, so we've queued it up. We talked Monday about climate change. Wednesday, we talked about why things are maybe better than we think, and you wrapped the show by talking about this notion of post-scarcity, this notion of abundance. So tonight we're going to get into, if we move to that kind of model, what kind of future can we look for? So take it away, John. Take us to the future. Okay, I'd like to actually start with something we talked a little bit about on Wednesday about information and the growth of the use of smartphones. Today, there are 2.5 billion phones in the world, and that's going probably to 3 billion by 2020. Wow. And there's almost that many Facebook users. Now, Facebook, with their current problems, I know has lost some users, so I'm not sure what the statistic is today. But today... There are 8 billion internet searches per day in the world. That's like huge. But that's the amount of information that people are starting to absorb. Our access to information is tremendous. And what that does for us is it releases a tremendous amount of creativity from people that had little or no access to information before. And for those of us who have had access to information, it accelerates that. The next step that's coming to the fore is computing with quantum physics. Faster, cheaper, path to what's called exascale. We know what giga is, excess, the next step up. And that's going to even accelerate things faster. So I don't know how that's going to affect everybody, but it's one of the things that's driving all this change for the future. That's the thing. It's not slowing down anytime soon. No, it's not. With Moore's Law, keeps doubling every 18 months at a minimum, and uh, the quantum physics computers are expecting to have a 1,000-fold increase in capacity. I have this, this idea from way back. I, I call it Spock's chessboard, and I, I guess I need to set this up just, just a little bit, but it's like because we've got Moore's Law, it feeds everything else, doesn't it? You've got all these little... Yeah, uh, uh, little chessboards being spawned off of the uh, the big one, where you're you're doubling at each step on the on the big chessboard, but you're getting all these uh, uh, little little chessboards coming off of it. So you got uh, energy and transportation is one of those little chessboards, right? We we should mention where yeah. where a chessboard in this case is a is a picture of an e- yeah. exponential growth, right? That's what you're saying. Exactly. So. With uh, with each each step in the chessboard being a doubling of the pre- previous, and it spawns other things because you, you don't just get more, uh, more, more. You get more everything, right? Yes. And anything that you're building at scale, the prices continue to fall tremendously. Solar, the price for solar in the last 10 years has, is down more than 60%. 
And today, wind power is selling at less than two cents a kilowatt hour wholesale. Two cents a kilowatt hour. We haven't seen prices of two cents a kilowatt hour since the 50s. Wow. And that's wow. what you can buy on wholesale. At the you know, big, big electrical companies are buying it at two cents a kilowatt hour. Solar is pretty expensive at three. And just for comparison, even with gas prices, natural gas prices where they are at $2 to $3 a million BTUs, the best they can do is about five and a half cents. Mm. John, is there any reason that someone shouldn't, let's say with their new home, demand solar on their roof? At that rate, you're outdoing your local uh, electric company. Are you, have we reached that point in, in well, more we, places? Uh, we're, we have, we them? Except, except that the control of the of the electric rates is still up to the utility companies and the public utility commissions. And they are not permitting, at least in Colorado, they are not permitting people to build solar panels to where they can sell power back to the utility at any level. You can do little bits of it. So it is being controlled effectively by the powers that be. So it's not uniformly justifiable because you still have to be on the grid and you still have to be served by the utility company. Right. There are places in the country where solar power, in California, the the amount of power that they have, solar power and wind power, is so great that they are actually giving away power to other states because they have too much during the day. (laughs) That's amazing. But all of that has to do with with the grid, managing the grid, making sure that they have power available that's operating. So there's some, a lot of technological reasons that's the case. But that's a, it's an amazing statistic. And, and the electric power is still getting cheaper. And I've read articles that say by 2040, uh, the price for power will be so low that it's not even a consideration in any project that you want to do. Well, that will be a different world, won't it? I mean, think, yeah. think about it. You make that if you get to that point and you make that change, you're living in a very different world than the world we we have always lived in, right? That's right. And it and it's not just here. It's also it's it's around the world. I mean, we talked earlier about how beneficial the power is for for Africans. Well, with solar power being as as inexpensive as it is, they'll be able to get all the power they need, especially in a place that's very hot. Right. And there are other developments that are coming along that we can see. They have, people are working on a self-contained nuclear power generator. It's kind of like a plug-and-play electrical generation for a community. They, it's, it's about the size of a, a tiny house, and you would bring it to the location, push the button to start it, and it would run for 40 years, and then you, you, uh, you dispose of it. And there's never any exposure to, to radiation. Will that ever happen? Who knows? Wave power is coming to the fore as well. And people around the coast, they think they can get wave power competitive with electric from uh, solar. So down the two and three cent range. And the eventual one may be plant or bug power. So we can take electricity directly from plants or from from, uh, bacteria. 
So there's a lot more things that can be available, but solar is is so dominant that maybe that's all that's going to happen. I'm, I'm sorry, you said plant power? So that, that really redefines power plant, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I, like I haven't heard of that. i got to read up on that. That's a, that's a completely new one to me. So you're, you're growing living things and taking electricity from them, like, like in the Matrix? Yeah, right. Instead of uh, using energy to, to do other things with, that the bugs actually produce electricity. Well, not directly, of course. You have to put it through some, some process to get it out. But all those are, new those are all coming attractions. Interesting. Uh, that's a hidden possible for me. I hadn't heard that one. Stephen, you heard about that? Plants and bugs as energy sources? Probably been five years, uh, Phil, but we actually talked about it in one of our shows. Oh, and, well, uh, there you go. <laughs> I'm getting older. I, I, <laughs> yeah, it's not one we've talked about a lot, though. And I, oh, okay. I, I appreciate John for bringing it up. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's move on to the next area, food food and water. Outside, uh, have you guys ever had, had Tony Seba on? Uh, no, we never have. He's the guy that wrote that his most recent book is Clean Disruption of Energy and Transportation, How Silicon Valley Will Make Oil, Nuclear, Natural Gas, Coal, Electric Utilities, and Conventional Cars Obsolete by 2030. Oh, wow. That's his statement. He did the keynote address for the Colorado World Affairs Council presentations in Boulder last year. And I want to read this. This is the essence of his, of his presentation. The age of centralized command and control extraction resource-based energy sources will not end because we run out of them. It will end because these energy sources, the business models they employ, and the products that sustain them will be disrupted by superior technologies, product architectures, and business models. Compelling new technologies such as solar, wind, electric vehicles will disrupt and sweep away the energy industry as we know it. And he's got all this happening in the next 10 years, huh? Yes, he says it will. And it's a combination of cheaper energy or cheaper, cheaper electric provision, plus things like the sharing economy. We're willing to trust strangers and and all the technology around uh, navigation that that has to be used, of course, for self-drive cars. It's a if you to get a chance, go take a look at his YouTube presentation called the Colorado World Affairs Council presentation. We'll definitely keynote. check that out, and we'll link that here also. We'll put, provide a link to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah, please do. So self-drive cars are coming. Hyperloop will oh, yeah. revolutionize <laughs> transportation in this country. And I really think this is going to happen. Elon Musk is quite an inventor, and his, they actually have a contract awarded in Chicago to, to build a hyperloop between the airport and downtown. Um, and I think it's supposed to be operational by 2023, which is awfully fast for a, for a system like what they're talking about. I'm not sure whether it's going to be above ground or underground. I think it's above ground, but it's pretty amazing stuff that they're talking about. But I think yep, most people we've understand had... what Hyperloop is. Well, why don't you give the quick the quick rundown on Hyperloop? So a Hyperloop, the concept is that you take a long pipeline, evacuate it so so it's really almost uh, down to a total vacuum, and then you put a tube with people in it that's about five feet, about 16 diameter, I think, and then you, with fans, you push the tube along, and it can go up to 700 miles an hour. And uh, like the trip between the the airport in in Chicago and downtown will take about four minutes. And uh, they've already proven the technology. They've proven it works. 
they've done some tests in Nevada, and they, I think it's like a 10-mile track that they've run. And the very, very uh, creative use of technology. This is the technology that will eventually kill the airlines, right, if, if, it's ever, uh, if it's ever broadly implemented. I suspect that the airlines will be able to use electric power within the last, next 15 years, big airlines. Mm-hmm. There are uh, talking about that particular thing, airlines. There's at least seven or eight com- companies that have developed commuter electric airplanes. They've actually demonstrated them. They're working they're, they haven't built the scale yet, but they have ranges of up to 100 miles. They can take up to six passengers, and they have solar panels and a lot of batteries, but they can do that with planes that are already developed, and they will be in service within the next three to four years. Amazing. Electric planes. Wow. Yep. There's also, for those science fiction people, <clears throat> a new space travel method. It's called an EM drive. It was developed by somebody who's not in the business, just like so many inventions come from out of the blue. And this uh, can, this quantum engine can accelerate planes uh, or accelerate space vehicles to uh, like a tenth of light speed over a long period of time, but then they slow back down again. But they'll be able to get to Mars instead of in years, they'll be able to get there and and a month or less. So that's way out there. A fast space drive is out there. Broad implementation of Hyperloop is out there, but it'll happen, right? I mean, it, once the yep. once the tech, yep. once the technology is established, it's just a, it's such a useful thing that it seems like, if not inevitable, very likely that at some point in the future of this planet, we're going to be Hyperlooped, right? It's that's that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna connect. Yeah. It seems like it seems like the right way to go. All right, well, let's, let's get into some of the other areas. We've talked about energy and transportation. Let's talk about some of the other areas of development that you see coming online, food and water, for example. Yeah, let's talk about water. John Kennedy, was, he was a great futurist, I think. He said that if we could ever get competitively at a cheap rate fresh water from salt water, this would be the long-range interest of humanity, which could really dwarf any other scientific accomplishments. He said this in 1961. Hmm. Developments in reverse osmosis have really improved in the last 10 or 15 years, and now they, they are getting to the point where they're competitive with regular water. To clean water, I think, the statistic, if I remember, the clean to clean water in Los Angeles from city water supplies costs about five cents a hundred gallons, or no, five cents a gallon. And the reverse osmosis is about seven or eight cents. So it's already close to competitive. Of course, you have to put the capital cost in, so it's going to raise the price up some. But uh, the continued development there and having inexpensive water in developing countries would be uh, probably the biggest thing, as Kennedy said, the biggest thing that ever happens. You can actually buy atmospheric water generators today. Can you believe that? We've talked uh, about uh, we've talked about that technology, but that's something that is available to businesses and consumers. They can you, you can you can get them and just produce water from the air. Yes, but you can't do it in Denver. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do it here in Louisiana all day long. <laughs> yes, you can, and and I've actually checked this out online. You can get this. It's called Ecolo Blue Atmospheric Water Generator. 
Mm-hmm. I think they they go for about 500 bucks, and it can produce eight gallons of water per day and 50% humidity for $2. Not bad. So that's about a third of, or a quarter of the price of a five-gallon bottle of water costs $5 today. So you just you get for $8, for eight, eight gallons you get for two bucks a day. So, Stephen, go out and get one. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll uh, be a moisture farmer just like uh like Star Wars. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Well, you think you think about keep driving the price of that down. This would be a huge technology for the developing world. There's there's so many yeah. parts of the world where they've got a lot of humidity, but they don't have a lot of clean drinking water. And presumably, yeah. if you take the water from the air, you're going to get you're going to get drinkable water, right? You're going to get water you can use. There's there's another one that's called the slingshot water purifier, and it takes fresh water that's contaminated and purifies anything, any kind of fresh water that's that's available, pond scum, etc. And it it purifies the water uh, 250 gallons per day for 25 cents. Oh, there you go. Now now you're talking. So you take you, as long as you have electric power in one of these things, you can make 250 gallons per day to to make that amazing, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's available today. Going forward, just like with energy, you, you know, you were saying we'll we'll plan a project and we won't have to worry about energy. It looks like we might be able to look to a day when the world generally won't have to worry about fresh water. It will be available. Right. There will be water for people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is actually so a huge water. part of the focus of life for a lot of people today is just getting water. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. You talked about the Africans having to go have half a day to get enough water to feed their to provide for their family for a day. Right. So future water developments, waste-free toilets have been developed. They they use the waste to make energy. Uh, precision agriculture, satellite space, and this is already being done in a lot of places where where they take satellite photos and they say, okay, Mr. Farmer, your field over the northwest corner needs extra water today, but don't put any more water in the southeast side. They're in desert countries. They are experimenting with putting subsoil water retention layers in. So they dig the water, dig maybe two feet underground, put a, a special layer of a chemical, well, of a water retentive compound of some kind, and then they cover it back up. And then when the water, the water then just goes into that layer and stays there and provides food for the plants. So you do, can really reduce the amount of water required. So there's wow. tremendous amounts of, and people are doing all kinds of research on different things. Food, vertical farming is probably the biggest thing that's, in my mind, that's good for cities because it eliminates all the transportation costs, almost all of the requirements for fertilizer and pesticides. They build it all in. That uh, produces their own fish, so it produces uh, a significant amount of protein because the fish eat the waste from the plants and then it gets recycled. So vertical farming is really a great benefit. It uses 2% of the ground space of regular farms, 10% of the water, 2% of the pesticides can be harvested year-round. However, you know, it does not, we can't do it with grain yet. Probably won't ever be able to. It's, but, and it's also in the cities right there where the right. people are. You can get your fresh veggies. Now, I've, have you been to the University of Colorado test facility yet? I haven't seen that, no. So so if you have time, go up there and they have they have a vertical farm that's in operation and they they produce when you when you go to the restaurants, they have uh, fresh 
lettuce and a few other types of plant that that came from that farm. I, I, I definitely want. I definitely want to try that out. You know, it's it's interesting. We've had Thomas Fry on uh, several times over the past year, and one of the things he talked about, Stephen, on the show that I missed when I was sick. You guys talked about the future of cities, and and Thomas was talking about the great kind of demographic wave as people are moving into cities. They're moving out of rural life and they're moving out of small towns and clustering in cities. I wonder if we'll see agricultural activity itself also move into cities, right? Vertical farming makes that possible. We talked about the vat meat and manufactured meat and some of that yeah. kind of stuff. If, if, we, if we look 20, 30 years out, how much of actual food production that once would have taken place on a farm will, will be taking place in cities? Would you would you care to take a guess, John? Take a stab at how big that will be. I would say I would say within thirty years we'd be looking at maybe twenty five percent. Okay. Well, a lot of what will drive it, I think, Phil, is we'll be able to do it cheaper there than to do it using traditional farming because of uh, no transportation uh, or very little transportation costs with vertical farms and. Wastage would be way less, you know, yeah. because there's so much damage from transportation, from picking, you know, from from gathering, etc. It does speak to that. One of the things that is most amazing to me is grow lights, and they're currently available for use in greenhouses that you customize the grow lights to get the light that you want to make for your plant. For instance, if you want. <laughs> This is kind of a funny one. That's, I think it's uh, mint. If you want purple mint, you use a different light, and you get purple mint. <laughs> and so you can customize your food. Designer food, yeah. Wow. But it also, you can put in special lights to kill the bug, that the more, and more importantly, kill the, the fungus that grows on the food that you don't want. So you can that's customize the treatment, you don't need to use pesticides and herbicides to do that kind of thing. You can do it with lighting. That's amazing. And of course, we've, we've already, we talked about 3D, well, we didn't talk about 3D printed food. That's, that's going to be one that I think is going to be a tough sell, but 3D printed chicken, 3D printed beef, and they'll, and I don't think anybody's tried 3D printed fish yet, but, you know, maybe it's just a matter of doing the flavor right. So there'll be new foods that are developed in for three for three D that has specific combinations of, of beneficial chemicals for our bodies that know how to do this. There's lots of research needs to go into this, but I'm sure that there will be plenty of. Uh, food like in Star Trek with the replicator. Yeah, we're heading we're heading in that direction. It'll start small. Starts with burgers and meatballs and things like that. Yeah, you know, the meat in a sauce or something, and maybe you get to a pizza topping and you kind of work your way up. Food, but eventually, Star Trek when Captain Picard says "Tea, Earl Grey, hot," right, and the replicator gives. Yeah. It. I mean, it's making the cup, too, right? It's making the cup and the Yeah, it makes the cup as well. Yeah. And then you put it in the recycler, and it goes back and yeah, and takes all the basic parts and puts it back into the into the resource. Yeah, that, that one's Pretty beyond food and water. That's a, that's, a, that's a big nanotech thing, but uh, that, that's yeah. coming, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, how about uh, moving on to medicine and healthcare? What are the what are the big what are the high points we can look well, for? Well, for me, the, the number one development of healthcare is our development of gene technology. And right now, I don't think insurance companies will pay for ge- genetic uh, specialty treatments. But as soon as they do, and they will soon, 
that will explode the 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 start of customized medicine. You know, if you've got a problem, they take take your gene sample and say, oh, we we need to fix this particular gene, and you'll be better. But I think there's the the human need to exercise and take care of our own bodies will will increase as it becomes easier and easier to deal with maladies. The importance of keeping ourselves healthy will be greater. I think that's definitely going to be the case. And we've got a kind of a pro and con thing that happens with all the information that's available to us now, which is that yep. there's, there's so many different ideas about how to take better care of yourself. And you go back to the Wednesday show, and we talked about all the different biases. You know, people... Uh, pe- people have pretty clear ideas about what used to work or what, or that was never right, and it, you know it can be very confusing actually for people about what the what the best way to take care of themselves is. So, I, so I'm hoping that in addition to things like gene therapy, we'll have really well defined standards for nutrition, for exercise, for lifestyle stuff that up to now has been kind of ad hoc, right? It's all been kind of like, well, yeah. you can you can you can find a book that will tell you to do it any way you want to do it, right? <laughs> and pretty much and pretty much do it that way. I I'm I'm hoping that we get like real science behind some of this stuff here in the over the next yeah. few years. It it does require some kind of a of a Star Trek kind of future where people do things for the benefit of humanity rather than their own pocketbook. And if you you look at the resistance that we've built into our into our medical system about not sharing people's histories uh, because of the danger of people stealing it. Yeah, you know, having a, a single database that everybody joined in so that we can start really taking advantage of that of that technology of our of our great digital technology. We've got to we've got to address those kind of issues as well. The next next one that that is fabulous for for remote places and third world countries is lab tests on smartphones. Mm-hmm. You just take a saliva sample and you can read out everything you need that that can do, or you take a small blood test and and, and have an immediate diagnosis of what the issue is and and be able to treat right on the spot. And and all it takes is a smartphone with an app built into it. And those things are available today, and they'll just be expand, expanding. Make a huge difference for people. One of the Absolutely. things we need to be concerned about with our, you know, I'm 71, and I'm I'm approaching the age which I probably will need assistance within 10 or 15 or 20 years. They will probably have personal care robots available for use in the home, and so you have some some care right at your fingertips all the time, and also hospital robots where most nursing duties will be taken care of by robotic assistants and that can work all day every day with very little cost and uh, they can take care of up to 60 or 70 percent of a nurse's duties on a regular basis and the nurses can then focus on the personal care that sounds great but of course uh, we're, we're hoping for treatments that will reduce the damage from aging so that maybe people won't need robots to take care of them right that maybe well yeah looking around me just just go on the, on the 
you know, and Den- Denver is one of the healthiest places on the planet, but you can just walk around downtown and you can see that there's going to be a lot of sick people. <laughs> oh, yeah. That may be true for some of us, but uh, I don't know how many. Yeah. Education is an area that is really terrific. And the, the changes in education that are necessary for, for us to improve and and really excite kids and, and, and take advantage of their creativity. There's been a lot of tests in uh, England. It's called, I think it's called the, the grandma experiment where they took kids and a computer and, and, uh, and three or four kids around each computer. And the grandma is just a cheerleader and they'll take a particular topic and the kids will have to read about it and then develop an experiment and experiment and do things. And the kids are learning faster than any other method that they've ever used with a coach that knows nothing about the topic. All she does is say, what did you learn? What are you going to do next? Oh, that's wonderful. There you go. More proof of the evolutionary benefit of grandparents, huh? That's awesome. Yes, that's right. I think virtual reality has a tremendous future in, in research and, and, and developing technologies. You can actually see, I can just imagine being an engineer, uh, putting on a virtual reality device and be able to, to walk around a chemical plant and see exactly what's there and and see what you need, to, how, how you can make improvements. I think there's a tremendous opportunity there. But I think right now it's mostly used for entertainment, but I but I see that as a as a big improvement long term. Yeah, it's it's an entertainment medium and in a lot of ways it's a solution looking for problems. I think it has to get better before it before it has a, a more practical uses, which it will have. I think it will it will have yeah. will have them down the road, but entertainment will get us there. It will get us it will keep the platform being developed until we can do more useful things with it. I'd like to talk a little bit about philanthropy and and how it's really expanding now that the governments are getting out of it. My my daughter went as a bright-eyed 18-year-old to Zambia for a research assignment and she went hoping that she could really make a difference in studying the impact of radio learning. And she came back, was very disillusioned that the West, uh, in its great intentions, has, has ruined the lives of so many Africans because we support their lives so much. We give them free medical care. We give them free food. We, don't, we just don't stimulate their creativity. And we've ruined generations of people. And the newer generations of philanthropists are not doing this. Mark Zuckerberg is a, is a good example. He's, what he's pursuing is personalized learning, curing diseases, and connecting people and communications. They are, I don't know if this has been implemented yet, but they plan on building flying internet platform for remote region connectivity, primarily in India. Of course, that benefits his company too. Once once people get connected, oh sure. But those are all. That's one of the things. Bill Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates are doing global development, health, U.S. education, and lifespan. Uh, we spent time in in, uh, in Washington, and Bill Gates, the Bill Gates Foundation, supports so many of the school programs in Washington State, and it's uh, really really beneficial for the schools and the people, the kids that get to benefit from it. And there's a lot of other people that that you can talk about that uh, that have the same issues. The right, regular right. regular people wanting to do uh, philanthropy, right? Instead of yeah, regular instead people. of billionaires, and, right? And, what what about guys like 
does. What? Uh, yeah. How, how's that we changing? Can, well, I'll, I'll give you one example, one personal example. I started donating to a, an organization called the Trillion Trees Organization that has teamed up with some in some companies in Africa to plant trees, and I donate sixty bucks a month. And so I've donated over fifteen hundred dollars in the last few years, and that's that's equivalent to fifteen thousand trees have been planted in Africa using my money. So wow. there are ways individuals can donate on a regular basis, but you really need to be selective about the companies you you contribute to. Are they really producing results? Right. Uh, right. You know, another one that I work with is a company that builds schools and and toilet facilities for villages in Africa and wells and and they really help build the infrastructure for for small villages and they've done a, a tremendous job of it and the thing that you talked about earlier with, with people developing electricity for Africa there all all of these things are really beneficial as long as we empower them to do the work and to and to uh, use their creativity to build their lives better Absolutely. Well, John, you know, you have outlined a really amazing sounding future. Any closing thoughts on where we're going? Where are we going? Not so much where we're going, but the resistance that we'll get. We as a as a nation and as a really as a world are resistant to change. And I think a lot of people will lose some of that resistance if they know that a, a brighter future is out there. And so what I encourage everybody to do is talk to people about what the possibility for the future is. And, and if you feel so moved, go talk to schools about it because the kids need to know that there's there's things out there for them. And I sometimes despair that we've got that there's more people than there will be jobs. But what I know is that uh, that's been an attitude of people for many, many years. When they first developed computers, they thought, well, we'll that be down to 20-hour weeks. And that hadn't happened. Not yet. No. Nope. <laughs> Nowhere near it. So I just want to call people to action to spread the word and to take the action that calls you. All right. Absolutely. It's a good good week we've had here talking about the future. John, can't thank you enough for taking the time to step us through all this. Oh, you're welcome. And we'll have to plan on having you back and doing this again. Stephen, also great talking with you. We're going to be back next week with three brand new shows. And until next time, live to see it. 